Okay, good morning, good day, good evening, whatever it is when you're listening to us. Uh, this is the Daz and Dave podcast, Conversations in Music. Um, we've got a two-part special. This is the first part. We've got an interview with Ian Gosling, a record store owner, and we're going to that in more detail when we meet Ian shortly. Enjoy. I've decamped to the shop. I'm, I've been I've been pulling out some records that people just bought online. <laughs> oh, brilliant! Excellent. I've just started doing. Having had a few weeks off, I just started doing some online stuff again. Okay. Is that busy? Um. Yeah, I've quite I've got quite a lot of orders. You know, really coming in. I mean, what it is the record store day is not on tomorrow. As you know, yeah. no. <laughs> so we put this. They put this thing up saying, uh, "You might have seen that you 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 shared my post, David." Yeah. Um, find your local shop if they're online and buy a record from them. You know, to fill your gap. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's quite a good thing to do. It is. It is. Yeah. And have you you've had a little bit of response then by the sounds of things, Ian? I've got quite a few people, local people, who have bought records. Um, Quite a lot of people aren't all local bought records, but quite a few locals have, you know, jumped in and bought a record today, and it's quite nice. Absolutely, means you have to get busy again. Well, they're not too bad. I'm never that busy. Oh, Ticks okay. over. It's lovely. Excellent. I mean, I would have been really busy tomorrow. I mean, this week's been, you know, really, really quiet compared to last year at this time. <laughs> oh, exactly. I'll tell you what, we'll have a chat about uh, Record Store Day in a bit. And before yeah. we do that, I really just wanted to do or to, to have the conversation we normally have with our guests is just to talk about yourself and, and how you came to music when you were growing up um, and maybe start with how you used to consume music when you were a kid, how you used to listen to it when you're with your parents. Mm. Oh, well, I started, I suppose, listening to my mum and dad's records on uh, rather grand radiogram, stereo radiogram happened when I was quite young. Nice. Um, and it was mainly 78s, and it was, but they had, dad was very much into into jazz, um, swing and that, but mum quite liked sort of the, the pop stuff like uh-huh. Paul Anker and people like yeah. that, so quite a selection of, of records on 78s um, and then I sort of just started finding people you know the Beatles came out and I was I was that age you know, I was too young to you know do anything other than listen to them but I was 10 you know when the Beatles sort of hit the charts I was 10 right well. and my very first I, I, I can't remember the first record I ever bought but I know that on my 10th birthday um, my sister gave me a copy of the Beatles Twist and Shout EP, right. which was amazing. I mean, three tracks are pretty poor, but the Twist and Shout track, 
applied that to death. <laughs> what are the other tracks on that one? Can you remember? Um, a taste of honey and one of the two. Yeah. You know, pretty soft stuff. But twist and shout. I used to lift the arm up on the record player, so it just kept on repeat playing. <laughs> I, mean, I had to listen to the other track as well, taste of honey as well. Twist and shout every three, every four minutes. Twist and shout again. It's great. Great. And, uh, really loud, really loud, just to drive my dad to distraction. And it's probably hard <laughs> to describe how different that was from any other sound, any other music that that had been around up until they delivered that. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, I suppose. I suppose the next nearest thing, I suppose, I missed out. I mean, rock and roll when that started was, was I missed out. That was quite a, a quantum leap. Because, you know, the first generation of teenagers got into rock and roll and stuff like that, which by the time I was a teenager, by the time I was 10, was all old hat, you know, and the Beatles came along and totally demolished it. But then the Stones and lots of other bands, and they tended to be the other bands I listened to. I mean, I used to, like the Animals and them, oh. and oh. Um, Spencer Davis group. I got into the... And, and, the Nashville teens and people like that got into them very early on when I was 10, 11 years old. Um, and my taste in record moves, went more down the Stones track than the Beatles track. Right. I get the, that. The R&B stuff. And you, you didn't know where it was from. Many, only years later you realised it was American music. Yeah. But it was just great at the time. And then it got very tribal and you listened to certain things but not others because you know you wouldn't listen to sort of Tamla Motown because your sister yeah. like that and then you found out the Stones have been doing Tamla Motown covers hang on <laughs> and at that point you start to realise it doesn't matter what it is on the label what you, I stopped thinking about genre and just yeah. thought about what's good yeah, I must admit I never I still do I refuse to categorise yeah. stuff really oh that makes sense and there's that interesting Sort of phase they went through, you know, during the sixties when we had rock, where basically the the Brits took on board everything they heard from the states and then created their own version of it, exported it to the states, and then their bands came through in the sixties, late sixties and seventies. Yeah, I mean it was a great time because things changed. You know, I remember the very first time I heard Led Zeppelin, oh. and it was like, you know, it was like you never heard anything that loud before. Black Sabbath and a Deep Purple, you've never heard anything that loud before. It's just amazing. But the other thing is, it's different to now. Yep. And I look back at live live bands and things. Yes. And. Now, I mean, I wouldn't give my time of day to go into a state, a large concert. You know, the Albert Hall, the O2 stadiums, I wouldn't give it the time of day. No. I never have done. I've always hated stadium, those big stadium overblown concerts. Because when I grew up, you saw bands, and I'm talking about the Stones and the Who and Deep Purple and Jimmy Hendrix. You saw them in small thousand-seat theatres. So much better. Up front and close and dirty. And I still Great. prefer that kind of gig. Mm. So the big stuff, the big stadium stuff, the big bands, I mean, I've been to one or two, but they leave me cold, you know, and people say, oh, Super Tramp Live were fantastic. Well, it never appealed to me to go and see anything like that because it's that kind of overblown, hyped live stuff is, I've always found disappointing. Yeah. Because it's not close. The biggest thing I ever went to was the Isle of Wight Festival. Oh, Glastonbury. But the biggest thing I went to as a kid was the Isle of Wight. 
Um, and they told me it was Bob Dylan on stage, but that's what they said. How can you tell? It yeah. like Bob Dylan, but it could have been anybody because you couldn't see him. No, unless no you're big it. screens. Oh, yeah, exactly. So you but to see. Sorry. To sort of see Hawkwind first time playing Silver Machine at the Lemmy at the Cambridge Corn Exchange, you know, sort of 1200 standing room only. Um, to see the Who playing a, a oh, small right. theatre, to see the Rolling Stones at the Roundhouse. I can't believe that. In London. Oh, wow. You know, a big of the Stones concerts they do now just wouldn't appeal to me. But back then, yeah, that was it. Yeah. Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd at Nottingham University. Oh. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Where they, where they actually, if you've seen the Amagama album, yeah, you must be familiar uh, with Amagama on yeah. the back cover. Yeah, yeah, that is what they turned up with. That van <laughs> and the four, the four band members in a car. Uh. Two roadies driving a van. The four band members in the car, one of them driving. That was it. No sort of 40 lorry, <laughs> sort of 40, 50 lorries turning up like they do now. It was just, it was just right. different. It was better. <laughs> and I bet it was about a pound a ticket as well, wasn't it? Oh, it's that. <laughs> yeah. It's that. Yeah. Wow. You know, if, if, if that, it was so, so, it, was, it wasn't, wasn't a lot. And so how did you but discover how your music? How did you, how did you come across bands was it through friends down at the local record store music papers through friends through local record shops you just went in the local record shop and listened to what was new coming out right um sometimes sometimes i mean this is a beautiful of lps i remember one band i got into when i was maybe 1969 because i bought him the record came out in 69 so i was what 16 i got into the grateful dead i'd never heard of them before but the <laughs> album cover for this live dead album was so amazing I just had to buy it. Yeah. I thought, yeah, the cover's that good, the record's going to be great. And it was brilliant. Wow. None of my friends had had it. Nobody had ever heard of them. This was a West Coast American band, but they were just great. That's how you found stuff. Sometimes just by gut feeling, looked at the cover, yeah. and said, yeah, I like that. Oh, yeah. yeah, I mean, that, that goes <laughs> yeah. a long way. Uh, Ian, tell me this. I, I know it used to happen in the States. It was in the 50s, I think. don't know if it happened in the UK, but... When singles were released, there'd be a different artist on each side, so there'd be another way of discovering music. Uh, no, I think we always had the same artist. I mean, mm. what was usually the case in a lot of times early on, B sides were better than the A sides. Oh. Back in back in the sixties, there were a lot of people, and it applied to quite a lot of sort of what you think middle of the road stuff. A lot of stuff, quite sort of the stuff your mum and dad would like on the A side. Turn that over the B side, it'd be quite edgy. You listen to some of the old Cliff Richard B sides; right. they're pretty edgy. Some of them. <clears throat> okay. Well, wow. nothing like you know the A sides were sort of quite mild. The B B sides were you know, quite pretty good. So B sides have always been a great thing. B sides of um, Tamla Motown records, B sides of pop records. Yeah. To find it sounds like you know not two different bands, but it could be. <laughs> yeah, more experimental today. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. That's good. And so, yeah. I, mean, I remember seeing, going in the late 70s, I used to work in a supermarket on as a Saturday job, and we went out one Saturday to go and see, um, in Windsor, we went to see the Chai Lights. And the best part of the, of the gig for me was when the band just played music at the beginning. They played two or three songs themselves, tracks without 
the singers coming along and they would they would prove how great they were as musicians. Um, oh yeah, a lot of that, look, look, that's that's sort of quite common. You find a good uh, good good music, no matter who's playing it, no matter where you hear it, it's always a joy. It really is. It always has been for me, um, and I love it. Oh. But yes, yeah, like the Twilight, something like that. Yeah, a band I never saw, but I've seen a lot of people. But a lot of them were back in the back when I was, you know, my formative years, and you. You, you found out people were on because you saw the listing in the New Music Express or the Melody Maker. Grew up near Cambridge. There was quite a lot going on in Cambridge at the time. Okay. Which was pretty good. So you talked about grew up as a kid and you were finding music and stuff. What happened then when you started working? When did you start working? Was that like when you were 16, 17? No, no, no. I started work. My first job was, I think, seven, my first like, like 1973. Um, at university, and it was, it was different because I found I started work, pretty much the same time I started working. I got married, so life was a totally different thing. Didn't get still, and I was mainly buying records, and you, know, <laughs> but you gradually building my record collection. I think I think when I was twenty, my my record collection, I probably had about fifty records, 40, 40, 50 records. That was it in LPs. Yeah. Lots and loads of singles, but very small LP collection. It was quite a fun the other day because I was looking on Twitter and Ian Rankin posted a photograph. He was sitting a photograph of his LP collection when he was 17. And it was about the same size as mine. Very eclectic, <laughs> but about only about 30 records. And incredibly proud of it. And I thought when I was 16, 17, that's all I had. Um, you know, now it's... Well, it's... Been cold and pruned over the years, but it's all around about. <laughs> oh, it's it's evolved though, hasn't it? It's a little bit bigger than fifty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I buy more LPs in a year now than I owned in total when I was twenty. Oh, yeah, <laughs> I, think I go along with that. I'm similar. <laughs> yeah, love it. I probably I probably buy between fifty and a hundred LPs. Yeah. Some of them brand new. Some of them are stuff that comes into the shop. People bring in a collection to sell, and some of them never find their way into the shop. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, do you struggle with that? Do you find being big that you're a seller as well? How do you distinguish between the selling and the collecting? Well, it's not collecting. I, I, I sometimes find something. I mean, I got one came in the other day, and it was um, live at the Marquee Club, Alexis Corner. Oh, right, yeah. Incredibly rare old P. I mean, it's not yeah. valuable. It's worth about 80 quid. And it came in a collection. Well, that didn't go in the shop. That went, that went in my house. Because <laughs> it's the yeah. original, original um, recording, original release. You can buy, you can buy a reissue for 20 quid, but it's nice to have an original one. It was in such nice condition. And this guy, had, had, this guy who had bought it from it had it since it was new. So I'm only the second owner, which is great. That's <laughs> fantastic. But I also find stuff I've never heard of before that I pick up and listen to. I think, hey, that's good. <laughs> good. And that stays in the collection, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, yes, occasionally. I mean, somebody, yeah. it's, it, it, there's, a, there's a sort of permanent collection and there's a floating bit that moves around and sometimes it'll come in. <laughs> sometimes I've got to make room in the house so I get, they'll, they'll find their way into the shop. Yeah. Uh, there's some stuff I'd never part with. Some some stuff I'd never part with because they had every record, you know, not every record, too many, but the early stuff, certainly every record holds is a memory. Of course, sentimental every attachment. LP, yeah. 
every LP is a memory. Yeah. Yeah. You remember when you bought it. Yeah. You remember why you bought it. It was just one of those things. Don't yeah. you, do you remember that scene in um, High Fidelity when John, or it's in the book, but uh, in John Cusack, when he's going through a low moment and he turns to his big album collection and he starts to to reorder it, resort it, and the guy saying, how are you doing it? He's trying to ask, ask and he, he couldn't work it out. And then John Cusack turns around and says, it's um, autobiographical. I remember that, yeah, that was, that was, that was, There is a TV series coming as well, Hang isn't there? Oh, which apparently um, people are slagging off. Oh. Somebody, so somebody was slagging that off the other day on the basis that everybody who came into this record shop was abusing the records. All oh, right. Wow, I've not heard about this. Taking series. him out the sleeve, taking him out the sleeves, and putting oh. them back in, and putting them back in the wrong way round, and putting oh. the fingers on them. Well, unfortunately, that happens all the time. You get used to it. It's real yeah. life. <laughs> yeah. I've not heard about that. When's that on, David? Um, it's a. It's, I can't remember what what streaming service it's on. It's not on one of the main streaming services that we get, unfortunately. Okay, they, they didn't have a release date. I looked about a month ago, and there isn't yeah. a release date in the UK yet. But it's just a matter yeah. of time. Especially, there's going to be a gap now, isn't there? Yeah. But you know, I mean, yeah, that was a that was a time that was a good, good, interesting book. But the uh, yeah, there's very few books about record collecting. One, two, which are quite yeah. amusing. Um, I commend that. Yes. There's one called Vinyl Countdown that came out last year by a guy called Graham Sharp, who's quite an amazing guy, who basically had a went on a went on a a journey to over a hundred secondhand records around the globe. <laughs> and it's quite yeah. and some so I I got a sent a free copy because somewhere in it I haven't found, got that far yet through it. My shop is mentioned. Oh, brilliant. <laughs> but it's called The Final Countdown by Graham Sharp. I can highly recommend it. It's quite a fascinating book. Sixteen ninety nine. Yeah. <laughs> and then the other one, the other one is a couple, is a couple written by Graham Jones. There's The Last Shot Standing, which he always made a film of, if you recall. And then yeah. there's basically the, the Vinyl Revival book he wrote out a couple of years ago. Okay. Excellent. There's very few others, you know. So Vinyl yeah. Revival. High, high Fidelity yeah. was just like one of those books that you've got that one. Have you've got that one. I've got I've got the Vinyl Countdown and the Vinyl Revival. I know you're in I, there. I found me in Vinyl Countdown. You're in there. Um, but yeah, but yeah, that book, that, that, that High Fidelity is a book that I've probably read. I've read more than more than several times. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's good. I tell I tell you what, Ian. Why don't we were talking about you sort of growing up and buying records? Let's fast forward through your professional career and talk about you coming out the other end and coming into retirement. And was that around the time that you plunged into becoming a record store owner? Um. Yeah, it was. Well, no, I started. If you recall, eBay started about nineteen mid nineties. Yeah. Mm, right. Yeah. And you 
Well, to the mid nine, I, I I was one of these people. I actually held off buying a CD player till really late. It was in the yeah. well into the nineties, late nineties, mid nineties before I bought a CD player. As you two released this bloody album, and you couldn't do it. They didn't bring it out on vinyl. <laughs> I think it was Zoo. I think it was Zoo Roper or what? Well, Zoo Roper, actual favorite. You didn't bring it out on vinyl. Yeah. So, uh, but, so that the U2 album, because I was really into U2, that U2 album cost me about 250 quid. Wow. So that's about the CD player. <laughs> yeah, uh, right. Yeah. <coughs> maybe. I went, maybe. It might have been Zeropa, I think, at the time. Yeah. Yeah. But the mid-90s was getting rid of vinyl. They were, you couldn't give it away. Somebody start to see these job lots of vinyl. Somebody sell uh, under records, and you'd go on and... Well, that's quite handy. So you sort the sort the listings into those nearest to where you live. And if it was in sort of half an hour's drive away, you might bid on it. And next thing you know, you've got 100 albums that cost you 25 quid. Yeah. Which you didn't want them all. So you sold them on. But me being me, I didn't sell them on a job lots to sell them on eventually. Yeah. <laughs> I started to make quite a bit of money out of it. So all this from the... From the End of the nineties, right through from after then on, I was I had a, a record shop on eBay buying and selling records. I, you know, depending what work I was doing and where I was working, obviously in between contracts, it was it was a bit more a bit more full on than if I was working on a contract. So the shop would go up up and down, be closed for a couple of years, then open up again for a few months and as I approached retirement three or four years before retirement I started buying stuff with a specific aim I would build a stock part as a, as a pension fund almost okay yeah no in, no interest coming through in the bank the ice is earning nothing if I buy a record if I buy these records they're not going to be worth any less they will be worth more than I pay for them therefore they and I did the same with stereo and hi-fi equipment at the same time, buying stuff that, yeah, if I paid, if I paid 500 quid for this, this turntable now, I'm never going to get less than 500 quid back for it, and I'll probably get a few years on. It's worth seven, eight hundred thousand pounds and <laughs> became quite this pension fund. And I was, that's what I've been doing for the last few years since I retired, just ticking over it well. It didn't quite work out that way because the hi-fi stuff sits there still waiting to be sold and the records took over and I'm still <laughs> buying records. Yeah. But but I'm making a decent amount of it, amount out of it. Yes. I mean, I couldn't survive on it, but as an addition to supplement to other pensions, it's great. And it keeps you pretty busy, doesn't it? Or it keeps you mildly busy, does it? Yeah. yeah. It's quite it's fun. You get to meet so many nice people. People yeah. come in the shop and you meet nice people. With people who, sort of people who buy records in record shops. You know, are different sort of people are people who buy them on Amazon and eBay. Yeah, really. Yeah. Did you find how difficult you find it was to go from the sort of collector mindset to becoming a shop, becoming an online store? No, 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 no. We we moved house here. We moved here a few years ago, and I needed somewhere to store the record. I just had a space I could convert into a shop, so it served two purposes. And I'm in the centre of the village, and it's not a very big village, but it's quite central. Um, and that became my little shop. But it's it's great. And and Ian, do you want to give uh, for the listeners? Do you want to give an idea of whereabouts you are? 
I'm in Buckden in Cambridgeshire. Um, okay. It's called the Vinyl Revival Store. You can find me easily on Google, or you can find me if you go to the Record Store Day website and put in shop near St. Neats or near Cambridge, you'll find me. Um, you can find me on Google or find me on Facebook. The Vinyl Revival Store. Not the most original name, I know. Hi. Turn the clock back to turn the clock back to nineteen ninety nine. Yeah. Yeah. Vinyl was dead. Yeah. Vinyl was like on it was was in its death throes. Yes, yeah, it yeah. was the right name. <laughs> well, I just I'm, coined it before everybody else did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Head of the curve. That's good. Yeah. And so you're in a you're in a village, so Sorry, Dan. I'll just, Sorry, Dan. So you're you're in a village. Um, yeah. I, I don't know how many shops you've got in the village, but um, it can't be many villages that have got a record shop in it. I'm the only record shop in the village, to coin a phrase. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. <laughs> you um, yeah, how far is your reach? How far is your reach? Do you get people visiting you from... Obviously, most of Cambridgeshire, or...? Because I'm the only record shop in what is now the old county of Hungerlandshire. So my ne- if you take from me, the next nearest record shop is in Bedford, which is 15 miles away in one direction, or Cambridge, which is nearly 20 miles away the other direction. Right. So the, t- the, two, the two main towns in Huntingdon, two main towns are Huntingdon and Neas, so I'm right in between... Um, so I've got quite a big cover, big big coverage, but for something like Record Store Day, I get people coming from fifty mile fifty miles away. Yeah, just to find out one release they really want. I had people. I had, I had the first guy, the first guy in my queue last year who got here at about quarter to two in the morning, started queuing, had yeah. come fifty four miles. Wow, queue. That's good. And yeah. you know. That's what people do. They're mad. They're basically <laughs> barking mad, but yeah. they love it. It's great fun. But Darren, and now catch look, me getting up at. I was going to say we're in our record. Sorry, queuing up last year. Wasn't the guy at the front of the queue? Didn't he come up from Cornwall? Yeah, that's right. I think it was Cornwall, yeah. and he got a uh, similar time, wasn't it? One, two in the morning, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the record is somewhere up in Newcastle or New- or, or time where there's two guys who compete to be the first in the queue at the <laughs> shop and last year the first guy arrived at 2 30 in the afternoon the day before oh wow not no not not on the friday but on the thursday Wow. But these, these, they're, they're, they're mad up there. These are the guys who go out for a night out in the middle of the winter for pub with no shirt, with, with, you know, bare chest. Oh. They're just losers. <laughs> but, but yeah, I mean, some people are quite, quite dedicated, shall we say. Oh, that's good. But yeah. it, I mean, it's a good, it's, it's good. We have fun. We don't have, a, have the sort of crowds that a big shop gets. But we pretty much have a good day. And is right, it, unfortunately, we're not doing it this year yeah. at this time, but we'll yeah. wait and see. Is it a benefit to you? Is it, is it worth you doing it, or do you feel obliged to do it? Don't feel obliged to do it. I didn't. I, I 
I did it the first couple of years to get the shot on the map. And it was slow, and I just about broke even. Mm -hmm. And the last, the second, the next, which is this would have been my fifth year this year. The last year was amazing. And the year before, in fact, was really good. Um, <clears throat> and it actually, it's quite a lot of work because it is the work, it's, the work starts a month, a couple of, about, about 10, 12 weeks beforehand and then builds up. And the last two weeks before the record are hectic with stock coming in. And, and then the day itself, you just don't get a break at the moment to take a breath. No. But if you end up the day, if you, my, my initial um, target, my first year was to break even overall, and I did that on the on the Sunday afternoon. Right. The following year, I broke even on the Saturday, and everything I sold on Sunday and the following year was profit. Um, this year, or last year, at the end of the Saturday afternoon, I was planning to open Sunday, and I thought, well, well it's not really worth it, but I've got 30 records left. Oh, no. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I, mean, I literally sold out. Nine, I, saw, I, I, I had yeah, probably 90, over 90% of the stock was sold on the first day. And oh, about 30, 40 records left at the end of the day. Wow. And, and that was good because, um, you know, it made it all worthwhile. And do you find, is that because you're being more selective about the titles you're buying in or are you just getting more custom? Or? I by the first couple of years, I sort of bought titles in and I was grabbing whatever I could because I hadn't got many, not very much standing with the record companies. Just yeah. And you would cut yeah. you down. Last year, I got pretty much everything I ordered. The only one title I didn't, only a handful of titles were very, very limited. Um, Queen being one of them. Um, but pretty much everything I wanted last year. And I... I ask people to send me wish lists. So it's not an order, it's a wish list. Can you get yeah. this for me? And it's yes, if you I'll get it, I'll try and get it. I'll let you know if I've got copies. But it's still, you've got to come and stand in the queue and queue for it. First come, first serve, nothing under the counter. That's very yeah. That guides me, I suppose, for about two thirds of my ordering is based on that. So if, if six people want a cop, all ask for a copy of the same record, I'll order 10. <laughs> Yeah, but then there'll also be a handful which I have taken. A, a, you know, I tell you that will sell. Even that will sell because I'd buy it. <laughs> yeah. So there's some which I'd take it, and I know somebody will come along and buy them. But they're not necessarily putting a wish list for them because they're not the sort of people who are going to come stand in the queue first. You can't afford to stop them all. No, there's a lot of titles out there, isn't there? You've got to be quite selective. Do you and find you get... Sorry, Sorry. Do you, do you get people on their wish list asking for some very obscure titles? Uh, do you yeah. still get those in? Yeah, yeah. If somebody asks me for it, I get it. And occasionally I'll get stuck with it because it turn up, but very rarely. Okay, that's good. So, so yes, um, but sometimes those very obscure titles open your eyes. Yeah, you'll, you'll take I punt on it, maybe buy an extra couple of copies because, and, some, and yeah. other people book. Um, so it's it's hard to it's hard to know exactly. It's like everything else. Records you think will sell take ages to sell. Records you think, yeah. but that's that's the way. But some of the stuff is the stuff that you you can guarantee some stuff will always sell. Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> 
everyone's favourite ballot. Yeah. Everyone wants to expose. Last year, they reissued last year um, <coughs> big compilation albums. Sixties compilations. They reissued. Five <laughs> time Green Grass and Through the Past Darkly. The nice thing was about Through the Past Darkly had the original octagonal cover. Right. Okay. But when they're reissuing stuff that I've got in stock, original stuff. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, perfect. It's like, you know, and, and then they bring out alternative. Last year, there's, this last year, there's an alternative Fleetwood Mac and an alternative Van Morrison Moon dance. Okay. Um, well, I bought the alternative Van Morrison Moon dance last year or the year before. And I've listened to it once, twice. And you realise, yeah, well, if they were that good, he'd have put them on the album in the first place. <laughs> oh, there is that. <laughs> and, but people want these alternate takes and these, you know, sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. John Lennon, um, Magic last year worked really well with an alternate one. But, but, yeah. And tell me this, when, when you've got those people coming through your door, I guess you do... Um, recognise a lot of them, but do you have any problems with flippers, or is that doesn't really happen? You know, the the, the people who come in. Who... I don't think I get. I don't think I get the flippers here. Right. Um, I I, I put, you know, the people who, you you build up a a customer base, and most of the people who put a wish list and get in this queue early are people who are enthusiasts, real you know lovers of music. Because we do it all outside. We have the old Fresco record store day. We have all the gazebos up and everything and there were DJ outside or a record player and then we'll, we'll spend hours here <laughs> Just, that sounds brilliant which is fun okay that's, that sounds really good but the big shops it's like it's like they want them in the door and out again because they've got such a huge number of people you know and and it's not this, this, this here I mean it's, it's, it's manageable and it's manageable on a relatively small number of people I suppose on the day last year records today over the course of the whole day from eight 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 thirty in the morning when I opened, six in the evening when I closed, I would think probably had two hundred people through. Right. Really. You, know, you go to a big shop like you know, big city shop, and they'll have two hundred people through in the first hour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's all relative. It's all relative. Yeah. So how did you? So. When you when you became a record store, from being a collector yeah. to a record store, um, how did you do that? How, what were the challenges that you found from doing that? So the first record store, they helped me get the contacts with the distributors and the labels. Right. Although that was pretty hard, pretty brutal, because most of them say, oh, we never heard of you, so we're not going to give you much, or we'll give you a little, a few drips and drabs. And but it builds up. So that was the biggest challenge, I suppose, Getting that, and then the, the challenge is really well on new stock. Just having, just getting enough to have some new stuff, but not overdoing it. Yeah. So new releases, I tend only to order them in if people ask me to. Somebody said, people say now, whereas, and, and you know, you reach a point where people say, "Can you get me this? Can you get me that?" And I guess I can get that for you. Yeah. Um, can't be really annoy you by asking you to get a new release after on the day they ask you when it's released to get it. And I've got one customer who's really great at that because most of these companies have minimum order number values. Uh, okay. For, 
but they don't apply the minimum order value to a new release. So if I want a copy of this record, it's coming out next week, and I order it on the pre-order, pre-orders, I can order just one copy, no penalties. Okay. If I, get, if I order, if I know, if, if, if this customer I kept coming in the day the record came out, and said, oh. can you get me that? By which time I can't do a pre-order, so I've got to wait till I've got 75 quid with orders to put in. Oh, to get that's interesting. <laughs> but, you know, it's, and then there's, but there's also stuff where, you know, you'll think, yeah, I'll order that because I know that will, that will go, or I fancy a copy myself. Um, and some sell better than others, you know. But mm. they're also, they, I mean, recent releases that I thought was a brilliant sold many. Paul Heaton and Jack Diablo. Yeah, oh. oh yeah. Came came out last month. I that's absolutely it's a fantastic record. I only sold two copies. <laughs> oh, that's, I bought that myself. It's great. Yeah. The other one that came out. I mean, I was looking around the shop at stuff I got recently. Like Taming Parlour was another one I bought recently. That yeah. sold quite well. Um, Green Day well, sold one copy of that. I think oh, people, yeah, I know people who love Green Day, but they've just not been in the shop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's interesting. So, so yes, some of the stuff, some of the reissue stuff, is you know questionable in its value, <laughs> uh, unless it's a really good repackaging or something that's not been over it, not been. Available for twenty years, thirty years, mm. then it's worth it. But some stuff, some reissues, you know, when they reissue sort of someone like Leo Sayer, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they reissued Alice and Moye, like three three Alice and Moye albums last year. Well, you know, I've got Boxall, well, I've got a Boxall, but give them away to charity shop. Yeah, but That's they there is something I don't know. I mean, I I can understand it because there is something quite wonderful about the kick you get when you open a record, particularly a sealed record, and you take it out of its sleeve. And you know, the first, you're the first person oh, yeah. ever played that record. Not no, loads of people played the record, but you're the yeah. only person who's ever played that particular piece of plastic, <laughs> and you put it on your turntable, and it's the first time, and it smells new. Yeah. And there is a real, I still get a real buzz out of that. Yeah. We understand <laughs> that, don't we? Um, Going back to yeah. sales and that sort of thing. So being a retailer your size, of your size, do you have, do you have, are you able to get any of the sort of signed special edition things that they get? That... Mm, no, that's, that's a lot of the stuff now. A lot of the signed special editions. Now, the problem we've got is not only are we competing with other shops and we're competing with Amazon and we're competing with eBay and we're competing yeah. online, we're also competing with the bands. Because right. you want signed, you know, they bought out Ozzy Osbourne, bought out, they reissued, they bought out this Ozzy Osbourne LP this year. Yeah. Everybody wanted it. They, they cracked it up to be a really fantastic package of everything. So we all ordered it. Yeah. Found out that they were sent us was just a standard LP and a standard sleeve. Okay, and they said, "Oh, we have the price. We 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 it's not quite as we promised, but the price is lower." And the only way you could, the only place you could buy the fancy sleeve version yeah. was on Aussie's website. Ah, uh, right. And a lot of the bands are doing direct to customer sales, and the the the, 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 the and signed copies only available from there was a, there was a 
uh, White Snake one recently, only available from the White Snake website. Yeah, think it a higher so, that's, so that's the bands Sharon. are sort of yeah. are selling reps, doing direct to customer, and it's annoying because I don't know. Shops, record shops, having a tough time at the moment. Yeah, it's, you compete. I mean, you can compete with other shops, but when but the special stuff, when you get when you get when they, when they make a special when they make a special edition available only to independent record stores and HMV. Oh, yeah. well, you know, you're giving HMV the same deal we're getting. You said the HMV are getting it at a lower price. Yeah, and HMV. So, so I've got to sell it to make a profit. I've got to sell it for twenty three quid, and HMV can sell it for nineteen ninety nine. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Tough. And it's, it's tough. But having said that, I beat HMV on prices on most of my new vinyl. Okay, that's brilliant. good luck. HMV are actually quite expensive these days. Yeah, yeah, they are. <laughs> I'm sure you'll find, you, you know, if you actually, well, you get about a bit, David, don't you? Yeah. I'm sure you, you, you go to sort of, you've got a great little record shop in Newton Abbey, haven't you? We, oh, we're very lucky, yeah, Phoenix. Phoenix, Phoenix Sound. Yeah, and that's I'm it. Sure, I'm sure you'll find he's got records in there, new records, new releases that are less a lower cost than the, the HMV in Exeter or wherever it is. <laughs> we're, we're well served, and, and I must admit, my instinct is if I can't find you there, I just ask and, and ask them well, to get it. Well, that's it. Because yes, you ask because I can get I can get virtually anything that's available on release. I can get. Um, and what I do sometimes is is people ask me for something. I think, oh, that's quite good. I'll get a copy of that for me as well. <laughs> <laughs> and go a bit mad sometimes like my indulgence my recent indulgence was to buy the entire Bert Yanch back catalogue on reissues from Earth Records <laughs> because they bought out some records to there a couple of years ago and I found this Earth Record label and it's, they bought out back catalogue and it's in case bound book form records so you've got like a big case bound book fold out book with four LPs in mm-hmm. and the original releases wow. and they're like well if you've got to come and buy one of me it's like it's like 55 quid for four records four LPs but they're just quality is fantastic so that's my big recommendation man Bert Yanch reissues on Re- on Earth Records they are superb oh uh, cool have a look at Bert Yanch is just the most amazing artist that He's not an artist. I, I I don't claim to know him at all. To be honest, I know the name. Yeah. But yeah. yeah he's, you know, people say he's folky, but he is folky. You pentangle, yeah. but he's just an amazing guitarist um, who influenced. I mean, people like Johnny Marr played played with him. Oh, and influenced yeah, I love Johnny Marr. Now we're talking. Well, <laughs> so you know, you couldn't pick up a Johnny the you know, the Earth Records stuff. Um, there's some great releases there, and uh, absolutely fun. Yes, buy any one of them. It's great. The live ones good. Okay. There's one coming out for Record Store Day live in Italy, which is a double album, and that's but that would be really good because his live stuff is great. Oh, I'll take that recommendation. I'll probably pick that one up. <laughs> but I've got, I've, I've got, I've got his original, um, an original live. Recorded in the in the Glasgow folk clubs in the early sixties before he had his first record deal. Yeah. LPs. 
and they are, uh, he was like a teenager. He's like 19, 18, 19 years old. And the guitar playing is superb. And it's not all folky. A lot of it's very bluesy, blues guitar. Yeah. Um, and it was recorded by a teenager, by a 14-year-old kid on a, on a handheld cassette recorder. Mm. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> do you know him, do you know him Darren? No, I, no, we were just saying, actually, that it's, it's not somebody I'm aware of, but uh, it's somebody I'm going to... Have a copy from me. I've got several copies. Several copies. I've got, there's very few copies left because it was a limited edition um, <laughs> from a local... Go on my website, have a look. Go on the oh, website, right, store, okay. have a look. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure I've ordered from you before. I'm sure I've had stuff turning up. Vinyl Revival, but yeah, right, well done. I would have done it. Yeah, that. and his stuff with was it John Redbourne? John Redbourne, who also played. Yeah, John Redbourne was the other great folk guitarist at the same time because him and Bert Yance were in Pentangle together with exactly, Jackie yeah. and of course uh, Danny Th and of course Danny Thompson, who played oh. with everybody. Yeah, you go. Danny Thompson played like stand up bass with everybody. I, I did see him with um, John Martin. Richard Thompson, you listen. John, John Martin, Richard yeah. Thompson, yeah. Roy Harper. You can't see any of those. You'll see Danny Thompson. <laughs> yeah. trying, uh, to, trying to remember the name of his double bass. It's got a, a, it's a lady's name, isn't it? That's right, yeah. <laughs> David, I think yeah, we need a road trip to Cambridgeshire. Uh, there's a road trip on the cards, that's for sure. <laughs> I think you ought to come up and see us, yes, and have a road trip up here. Two stores near me. There's one in Cambridge called the called Lost in Vinyl, which is a really nice shop, really nice guy runs it. And then there's David's in Letchworth, which is a um, very long established shop, which has got a it's got a bookshop and a record shop and in between got three shops in a row. There's a bookshop at one end, a coffee, a record shop at the other end, a coffee shop in the middle. That's <laughs> <laughs> really nice. So a nice place to you spend all you can spend all day there. That's just down the road from us, so 20 miles away. Brilliant. But, a question yeah. for David. I think David's probably going to move on in a minute, but I just want to know, does the postponement of Record Store Day, how does that affect you? Because you've obviously done these two or three months leading up to it, getting preparing for it. Well, it doesn't affect me too much because they postponed no. it before the hard, before the really hard work started. Okay, I've got all my... I've just about... Uh, post, the, the, the time they postponed it, we were just about... To send our orders in, send our, right. our orders. And of course, nobody sent any orders in, just held off. Right. So, and nobody's done anything since because basically, shop people have shut their shops down and not been open. Um, so, it's it's it could have been worse. It could have been post. Could have they could have we could have been. It, yeah. it Could have been like with stock on your hands. They, 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 the government decided last week to close shops. Yeah. And we'd have been buggered because we'd have had. I'd have had I mean, last yeah. year, I, I mean, I, I, I'm a small shop, but I would still probably spend six, seven, or eight thousand pounds buying stock. Right. And it's right. not sale or return. It's, yeah. You bought it. You've got it. Yeah. And and you know that seven or eight. So you know, and and okay, you're missing out on the profit element because that seven, eight thousand pounds worth of stock purchase translates into sales of about twelve thousand, twelve and a half thousand quid. Yeah, but it is a rich margin. It's not huge margins, but it's good. 
Sadly, that was all the time that Ian had with us on our podcast. The connection failed, so we called it a day at that point, which meant that we missed out on doing our regular Hollywood collection, which Ian sent me details of afterwards. Uh, We covered this a bit more on the next podcast, but the album that he nominated to go into the Mark Hollywood 100 collection is Love Forever Changes. This is the third and last album by the band Love, considered by many as a classic, a psychedelic rock, and certainly worth listening to. And as I said, we'll cover that in a little bit more depth on the next podcast. Before closing, just want to do a shout out for Ian's Record Store. So you can find details about that on Facebook under the Vinyl Revival Store and also on his website, which is vinylrevivaluk.com. That's vinylrevivaluk.com, all one word. And lastly, just remember, if you're listening to this on SoundCloud or Spotify or iTunes, uh, please leave a comment. That would be great. And follow us if you can. That would be smashing. And I look forward then to meeting you with Darren on episode six, which is when we meet with Alan Jones, who is one of the many record store regulars. And he regales us with some of his stories of uh, spending times in the queue. Stay safe, everyone. <laughs>